Supernatural in Central Florida. It's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 374th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're doing a legend. A legend about the Count of St. Germain. Ooh. Now, this is a character that I have followed ever since I was a kid. I spent some of my own money on one of those, I think it was a Reader's Digest, Mysteries of the Universe book, and it had all kinds of oddities and weird stuff in there. I would have loved to have known you as a kid. We would have had a lot of fun. (laughs) Yes, we would I wouldn't have been a weirdo all by myself. That is true. And in there, they had this big section on this guy called the Count of St. Germain. And as I read about him, I was just mystified. I was like, who was this guy? Was he a time traveler? Was he able to live forever? Is he still around? And we're going to discuss that on this episode. Excellent. And I want to give some special thanks to Scott Booker, who gave us a ton of research assistance on this. He did the heavy lifting for me because, Kelly, did you know it's tax season? Ugh. I think I might have had a little clue about that. So I was a little busy with that kind of stuff. So I said, hey, Scott, I could really use some help with some research. And he jumped right on it. And wham, bam, I think he had it to you the next day, right? He did. I'm like, (laughs) you know, you have I need it at the end of the month. So whenever and he had it the next day. He is amazing. I gotta say. And this topic was suggested by our listener, Abby Richmond. So thank you for suggesting it, Abby. We also want to let you guys know, speaking of taxes... This show is mostly funded by our listeners. And of course, I get all the numbers when I'm doing that. And I want to thank you all so much because you guys really are the ones who fund this. If you're one of those people who doesn't want to sign up to subscribe for a monthly thing, you can always send us a one-time donation, thank you, tip, whatever you want to call it. You just send that over to paypal.me forward slash history ghost bump and you put in whatever number you feel like putting in there. So if you feel like you got $10, $20 worth of value from listening to our content, give us a nice thank you there. We greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, if you find value in what you've been hearing and what you've been enjoying, supporting the show is really the best way to help us out so that we can keep doing what we're doing. We want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Chris. Tana, or it could be Tanya, Ashley with an EY, Julia, Pamela, Mick, Mar, Catherine with a K, Ashley with an EI in the middle, Robert, Greg, Nicole, Leanne, Hannah, Heather, Helen, James, William, Jeff, Donna, and Denise. Thank you so much for joining us in the crew. And if you're somebody that has been invited into the crew by a friend or family member, we don't get a notification in regards to that. But pop up and say hi, introduce yourself, and also, for you guys, welcome into the crew. And now, this moment, Naughty. Two 
German hikers discovered a well-preserved human mummy in the Otstal Alps in September of 1991. This was on the border of Italy and Austria, and was the oldest mummy ever found in Europe. Evidence revealed that the Iceman had met with a violent end. He was shot with an arrow, and then his head was crushed. Scientists believe that he was a shaman who had been killed by his enemies. Perhaps that is why there are claims that the Iceman is cursed. Seven people who were connected with the discovery died. Some of those deaths were violent or odd themselves. Rainer Henn was the first to die. He worked as a forensic pathologist, and he put the Iceman in a body bag with his bare hands. On his way to do a presentation on the Iceman, he was killed in a car crash. The guide who led Henn to the body was next. An avalanche got him. The man who filmed the recovery was the third to die, and this was from a brain tumor. One of the hikers who discovered the mummy went missing in 2004, and when he was found, he was at the bottom of a 300-foot cliff, face down in a stream. A man on the rescue team dropped dead of a heart attack after the hiker's funeral. The next victim proclaimed the curse a bunch of rubbish and said, The next thing you will be saying, I will be next. And he was. The final victim initially got sick in 1992, right after he started working with the Iceman, eventually dying in 2005. Having all these deaths occur in connection with discovering the Iceman certainly is odd. And now, this month in history. In the month of February, on the 8th in 1587, Mary, Queen of Scots, was beheaded at Fotheringhay, England. Mary Stuart had been born in 1542 and was the only surviving legitimate child of King James V of Scotland. She ascended to the throne when she was only six days old because her father died. She would reign over Scotland from December 14, 1542 to July 24, 1567. She grew up in France and married Dauphine of France Francis. He died in 1560 and she went to Scotland where she married her half-cousin and became Mary Stuart. They had a son named James. This new husband was murdered two years into the marriage, and Mary then married James Hepburn, who it was thought helped plan the murder. The country rose up against the couple, and Mary was thrown into Loch Leven Castle and imprisoned. She abdicated the throne to her son and fled to England for protection under her cousin Queen Elizabeth I. The Queen of England thought that Mary was actually coming to take the throne, so she had her imprisoned. Over the next 19 years, she was moved from Manor House to Castle to Manor House. During the Protestant Reformation in England, Mary got caught up in the events surrounding that and she was charged with complicity in a plot to assassinate Elizabeth. She was sentenced to die and, as you heard, she was beheaded, but her legend continues as one of the most complicated characters in British and European history. One legendary person in history that has been fascinating to us is the Count of St. Germain. This was a man who not only claimed to be hundreds of years old, seemingly finding the secret to eternal youth via alchemy, but sightings and stories about him throughout the centuries seem to indicate that he may have been telling the truth. Who was this man? 
Was he even a count? Could he have been a time traveler? Was he a vampire? And that is why he never seemed to age. Join us as we explore the legend of the Count of St. Germain. The Comte de Saint-Germain went by many aliases and has been known as several men through the centuries. There was the Marquis de Montferrat, Comte Bellamare, Chevalier Schoening, Count Weldon, Comte Soltikoff, Graf Sorogi, Prince Rogoski, Marcus S. Garman, Master R., and Jacques Saint-Germain. Regardless of what name he was introducing himself by, he was always described with similar traits as a man with a head full of black hair, appearing to be around 30 years old, handsome, robust, and of medium height with barely a wrinkle on his face. The Count was rich and dressed elegantly and knew how to throw a party. The fourth Earl of Oxford, Horace Walpole, wrote to his friend Horace Mann about the Count, an odd man who goes by the name of Comte St. Germain. He had been here these two years and will not tell who he is or whence, but professes that he does not go by his right name. He sings, plays on the violin wonderfully, composes, is mad, and not very sensible. He is called an Italian, a Spaniard, a Pole, a somebody that married a great fortune in Mexico and ran away with her jewels to Constantinople, a priest, a fiddler, a vast nobleman. The Prince of Wales has had unsatiated curiosity about him, but in vain. Historians disagree as to the biography of the Count of St. Germain with good reason. There seems to be no definitive records about him, and he refused to give his true name. Most historians agree that he was born in the late 1600s. Biographer and theosophist Isabel Cooper Oakley reported in her book, The Comte de Saint-Germain, The Secret of Kings, that he was born the son of the Prince of Transylvania, Franz Leopold Rakowski, and his wife, Princess Charlotte Amalia of Hesse-Wanfried, in the late 1690s. She claimed that he was probably born in Bohemia. His parents were unable to raise him because of the political environment that was becoming dangerous, and he was sent to Gian Gastoni, who was the last of the Medici family to be raised. This was his mother's brother-in-law. Under the care of Gastone, the Count would receive a great education, but there are those who disagree with this origin story. Some historians claim that his father was Comte Adenero and his mother was Marie de Nurburg, the widow of King Charles II of Spain. Others believe that he had been a Portuguese Jew. One of my favorite people in history, P.T. Barnum, so I love that he had a comment about this, he wrote the book The Humbugs of the World in 1886, and in it he related about the Count, the Marquis de Cruquet declared that St. Germain was an Alsatian Jew, Simon Wolfe by name, and was born at Strasbourg about the close of the 17th or the beginning of the 18th century. Others insist that he was a Spanish Jesuit named Aymar, and others again intimate that his true title was the Marquis de Batmar, and that he was a native of Portugal. The most plausible theory, however, makes him the natural son of an Italian princess and fixes his birth at San Germano in Savoy about the year 1710 his ostensible father being one Rotondo, a tax collector of that district. So that's why, Kelly, you can see trying to get a biography on this guy is really difficult. 
And I think he meant it to be that way because he wouldn't tell anybody the truth. I agree. So I think everybody's picking up all these different legends because who knows? He probably told all of these different stories depending upon who he was talking to. It definitely sounds that way. The Count spoke so many languages, it was as if he was from everywhere. These languages included French, German, Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, and English. As part of his education, he also was experienced with Chinese, Latin, Arabic, Greek, and Sanskrit. So pretty much anything you put in front of this guy, he could read. (laughs) Sounds that way, definitely. I bet he could pronounce things way better than we can, too. (laughs) Of that, I am certain. (laughs) The Count was accomplished in so many ways. One area was music, and many pieces of music are attributed to the Count. It is said that he contributed some of the songs to the Inconstanza de Lusa, an opera performed at the Haymarket Theatre in London. The Count was an artist with a gift for painting, and he could write, but no one knows for sure if works attributed to him really were written by him. One of these would be La Trace Saint Trinisophie, the Most Holy Trinisophia, or the Most Holy Threefold Wisdom. Aren't you glad that I made sure to put the French names in there before they put the English? Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) This was a French esoteric book. There are those who claim the Count authored it, but others give Alessandro Cagliostro credit for the work. The only reason this has been connected to the Count is that there was a handwritten note on the inside of the cover of the original manuscript claiming that it belonged to St. Germain. I'm going to start writing my name in the middle of all these old books. Maybe they'll attribute them to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've marked it with my name. Diane was here. I wrote it. (laughs) Like Kilroy. The material could be his as well, as we will soon discuss his interest and seeming expertise in alchemy, the esoteric and the mystical. This 96-page book written in the late 18th century is divided into 12 sections representing the 12 zodiac signs, and inside is information about Masonic, Kabbalistic, and alchemical mysteries. Another tome attributed to him was the Triangular Book of St. Germain, or the Triangular Manuscript. This was an untitled 18th century French text written in code, and the book is literally shaped like an equilateral triangle, hence the name. The contents feature information on how to extend life and find treasure via magic. One has to decipher the code to uncover that. Can you imagine a triangular book? How you would even write on that? (laughs) No. I guess if you wrote in an angle on the pages and just got smaller as you got down towards the bottom? I don't know. Everywhere the Count went, people loved him. And who wouldn't, Kelly? I mean, the guy was rich, and he loved to throw parties. And he never got a wrinkle. I know. (laughs) And he knew everything. But apparently he wasn't one of those know-it-alls. Because, you know, there are some people who are know-it-alls, and you're just like, please stop talking. But people liked him talking. (laughs) At least most people. They wanted to be a part of his circle and attend his parties. He traveled extensively throughout Europe in the mid to late 1700s. He mesmerized people with his knowledge of jewels, and since he was rich, he made jewelry a big part of his dress. He even studded his shoes with jewels. Oh, my word. Can you imagine this guy walking down the street? Not in that day and age. Now, here's something (laughs) that I find very interesting. And some of you guys will be like, okay, well, whatever. The stories of Lucifer in the Bible. Have you seen how they describe him? You know, the Catholic Church wants people to believe that he's this red guy with horns and And a tail. Yeah. Yeah. He actually had a body that was covered with all these semi-precious and precious stones. So Ah. he was the most beautiful angel in the heavens. And when I was reading this, and you think, you know, the Count is into the esoteric, and maybe he was possibly a vampire, and where is he getting all this magic, and whatever he's doing probably is leaning more towards a dark 
black magic rather than a white magic type thing. And then you see that he just loved jewels and he had all of his dress covered in jewels right down to his shoes, which is kind of weird for a guy Mm -hmm. to want to be that way. So it made me go, huh, not that I'm saying that he's the devil, but it seems like he had those kinds of inclinations. Yeah, it takes you down a different path a little bit. I just thought that was interesting. You guys probably think I'm crazy, but... (laughs) Nah. Well, maybe a little, but nah. (laughs) He actually claimed he could grow pearls to large sizes. He had perfected a technique for painting jewels. I've never heard of painting jewels before, so I don't know what that incorporated, but it had to have been something special if he perfected it. And he developed a special pigment that could reflect light and make jewels gleam in such a way that they were lifelike. Interesting. also seems weird to me. How do you make a jewel lifelike? That's like taking a rock and... What, making it like a pet rock? You put some eyes on it? (laughs) I hardly think that it was that, but... It's just weird. I'm like, how do you make a jewel seem lifelike? Does it like strobe like it's breathing? I would imagine it was probably along the lines of just making it so shiny. Maybe. That it just had refractile properties. Maybe. His knowledge with jewels is traced to five years that he spent in the Shah of Persia's court in the mid-1700s, where he learned the jeweler's craft. And we should mention that although the Count was famously rich... He held no bank accounts anywhere. As a matter of fact, a French ambassador in London wrote that the Count had to be a spy because he has cut a fine figure here, receiving great sums and settling all bills with such promptitude that it has never been necessary to remind him. Nobody can imagine how a man who was simply a gentleman could dispose of such vast resources unless he were employed as a spy. Although he clearly would have been a catch for any woman, he never married or had any children. The Count was friends with many well-known people like Giacomo Girolamo Casanova, who said of St. Germain, This extraordinary man would say in an easy, assured manner that he was 300 years old, that he knew the secret of the universal medicine, that he possessed a mastery over nature, that he could melt diamonds. All this, he said, was mere trifle to him. I mean, you've got to imagine these guys are looking (laughs) at this man going, You're a kook. (laughs) Wow, what a blowhard. Talk about bragging. It's one thing to say, oh, well, I, you know, went out hunting today and I got a couple of pheasants or something. And he's like, yeah, I melt diamonds. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, I'm 300 years old. Madame de Adamar wrote Souvenirs de la Marie Antoinette, which was published in 1836. And in it, she wrote that her maid once quipped about the count. I thought with all due respect to Madame la Comtesse that the devil had long since made a mantle out of the skin of this personage. So going back to my earlier theory there, well, even this woman is saying, I think that's the devil with a man's skin over him. Could be. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Kelly, you and I have added a little something to our repertoire that we'd love to have the listeners join us. Yes, we have. This is over on the Stereo app. And basically what it is, a way for you guys to be able to communicate with us in a more direct way. Yeah. So what happens is you and I host what would be like a bonus episode or a little talk. And we pop up as two avatars, which is nice for us because we don't have to actually be on video and have our makeup and hair done. We can sit in our jammies. Yes, we can sit in our (laughs) jammies. And then there's a little indicator on there with a microphone and you guys come and listen to us and you can hit that microphone and you can talk to us with that. You can ask us a question. You can add a comment. So basically, this is a live social conversation app. It's so exciting. I love this. These are exclusive. They are only available on this stereo app. We'd love to have you join us there. What you do is you're going to go to Stereo.com forward slash History Goes Bump. 
you go ahead and download the app from there and then you can follow myself and then Kelly also has her own account so you can follow us both there and uh, we follow back and that kind of thing. Yes, we do. And then you'll get notified every time we go live. Right now, we don't have a specific set schedule, but we've been shooting for our Thursdays and Saturdays around 8 p.m. Eastern time. Go to Stereo.com forward slash History Goes Bump. St. Germain knew King Louis XV of France and his wife Marie Antoinette and advised the king and conducted secret missions for him in England. He also seemed to be able to see into the future, and he told the king that the French Revolution would be coming. This was 15 years before it actually did happen. King Louis's chief mistress, Marquise de Pompadour, was friends with the Count as well, and he visited her in 1750. The Count knew Catherine the Great and is said to have played a part in the conspiracy to get her on the throne, and he advised her on the war with Turkey. He knew the philosopher and writer Voltaire, whom he met in 1758. And while Voltaire found him entertaining, he thought the Count talked far too much. That's why I said some people enjoyed his stories, and then there were a few who were like, he just won't shut up. (laughs) I know a few people like that. (laughs) Probably me. (laughs) (laughs) The last five years of his life were spent at Prince Charles of Hesse Castle's castle in Eckenford. The co-founder of the Theosophical Society, Madame Blavatsky, met with the Count many times in the 1890s clearly after he should have been dead. And even more remarkably, he claimed to have had conversations with the Queen of Sheba and Cleopatra. So maybe he was (laughs) 300 years old. Perhaps. Actually, he had to be way older than that if he's talking to the Queen of Sheba and Cleopatra. The pieces of the Count's life that are very interesting to us are those that deal with the occult and his abilities with alchemy, which is a mixing of chemistry and philosophy to transmute baser metals into gold and find the elixir of life. Legend claims he discovered the true secret of alchemy. He developed some kind of powder that turned lead into pure silver or gold when either of these metals was heated to its molten form and the powder was added to it. This same powder was also the key ingredient in his elixir of life, and legend also claims this would impart immortality on those who drank it. Legend claims that he could turn rocks into precious stones, take imperfections out of diamonds, and even fashion diamonds out of thin air. And earlier, he said he could melt them, so he could do all kinds of things with diamonds, apparently. President of the Theosophical Society, Annie Besant, wrote in the foreword of Cooper Oakley's book, The Great Occultist and Brother of the White Lodge, fragments of whose life are herein given, was the greatest force behind in the intellectual reforming movement, which received its death blow in the outbreak of the French Revolution. Phoenix-like, it has re-arisen and it reappeared in the 19th century as a Theosophical Society, of which this great brother is one of the recognized leaders. Still living in the same body, the perennial youth of which astonished the observers of the 18th century. He has fulfilled the prophecy made to Madame de Adamar that he would show himself again a century after his farewell to her, and in the growing spiritual movement which is seen around us on every side. He will be one of the acknowledged chiefs. Profoundly interesting, Therefore, must be every detail that can be gathered of his 18th century life. And much is gathered here. So basically what Annie is sharing there is about the Masonic background of the Count. He was also believed to have connections to several other secret societies, including the Rosicrucians, Society of Asiatic Brothers, the Knights of Light, the Illuminati, and Order of the Templars. Perhaps it was through the rituals of these groups that he perfected his special magic. 
The Count was so dedicated to his alchemy pursuits that he would set up elaborate laboratories wherever he traveled. He didn't just work on life elixirs and precious metals, though, Kelly. You'd be into this. He made cosmetics, anti-aging creams, and hair dyes. Ooh. Yes. (laughs) So you'd be uh, one of his clients for sure. I can get down dirty and go out and do outdoorsy stuff, but I want to have my hair and makeup done. Yeah. It's just the way I am. He would have loved yours because, you know, you have that little (laughs) touch of purple in there. I love my purple. And many times his dyes were used for clothing as well. There were a lot of royalty that would come to him because they wanted to have, you know, these really cool colors in their clothing. One key indicator that someone has lived is the existence of a burial. Of course, that also indicates that that person died. The Count was reportedly buried on March 2nd, 1784, in a private grave at Nikolai Church at Nikolai Kirchen in Eckernfjord. The stone was rumored to read, deceased on February 27th, buried on March 2nd, 1784. The so-called Comte de Saint-Germain and Weldon. Further information, not known. Don't you just love that that's on a headstone? (laughs) It's a little bit unusual. Further information, not known. It's almost one of those, see the back for more information. (laughs) Read the fine print. Open coffin for more information. Ew. (laughs) A great storm destroyed the church on November 13, 1872, and all the indoor tombs were filled with sand. Most of the large tombstones were removed, leaving the location of his body unknown, which also leads people to believe that he is not buried in the church. No one had attended the funeral of this clearly well-known and liked man. He had nothing of value to his name at the time of his death, save for some clothing and toiletries. Of course, the main reason we are talking about the Count is that many people believed he couldn't die either because he had discovered an elixir that kept him young, or he was a vampire. Reasons why people have believed that the Count has lived for centuries are the stories of him attending many key events in history. Granted, many of these stories he told himself. So again, since he doesn't want to tell who he is, who knows how much he embellished his history. But he claimed that he was witness to Jesus changing water to wine at the wedding in Canaan. (laughs) Wow! The first council of Nicaea was convened by the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great in 325 AD, and St. Germain claimed he was present at that. He also claimed that in 600 BC, he received the staff of Moses from one of Moses's great-grandsons. I mean, talk about some stories. Here. This guy gets around. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, well, do you have the staff now? Where is it? If you've lived this whole time, don't you have it? Do you have it in a storage somewhere? If he didn't look so wonderful in his skin without wrinkles and everything, I would say he's full of something. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why he didn't have any wrinkles, because he's full of something. Ew. So this time when he would have been getting this staff of Moses, it would have been the time of Cyrus in Babylon. St. Germain claimed that he had rooms at the Tower of London under King Edward II's rule between 1307 and 1327. He also claimed to have spent time studying speculative chemistry with Francis I from 1501 to 1540. The Count was seen at the coup d'etat when Napoleon Bonaparte overtook the French consulate in 1799. And in 1821, he seems to disappear from history. And this is when legends claim he started using aliases. So basically up to this point, he's still calling himself the Count of St. Germain. But after 1821, he starts appearing as other named men. My oh my, what a tangle webbed wee wee. Around this time, Albert Van Damme, who was an English journalist, wrote about a man he had met named Major Fraser. He called himself Major Fraser, lived alone, and never alluded to his family. Moreover, he was lavish with money, though the source of his fortune remained a mystery to everyone. He possessed a marvelous knowledge of all the countries in Europe at all periods. His memory was absolutely incredible, 
And curiously enough, he often gave his hearers to understand that he had acquired his learning elsewhere than from books. Many is the time he has told me with a strange smile that he was certain he had known Nero and had spoken with Dante and so on. Van Damme said that the man looked just like pictures he had seen of the Count de St. Germain. Major Fraser eventually died with no family. His possessions were sold and given to the poor. If he died, then he probably was not the Count. Jesse at the Finding Count Germain website posted a possible obituary for Major Fraser. Yeah, so Jesse, who runs this Finding Count Germain website, which is really cool because he digs into all these things, he was like, well, I wonder if this Major Fraser had some possibilities. First of all, let me see if this guy even died. And so he looked through and he found a couple of different obituaries. And then he found this one that he thought was probably the most accurate one. But again, if we're finding an obituary, the count isn't supposed to ever die. So there wouldn't really be an obituary form. Needless to say, whoever this Major Fraser is, he must have taken some lessons if he was not the Count of St. Germain, some lessons from him. Because here he is saying, oh, yeah, I knew Nero and Dante. and <laughs> <laughs> No big deal. <laughs> it's like, OK, you talk some big tales, too. Napoleon was suspicious of the Count, so he had people start investigating him. This started in 1870, and the Special Commission stored the information that it collected at the Hotel de Ville. The investigation ended in 1871 when the hotel burned down. The cause of the fire was a mystery. Huh, wonder if the Count lit a match. <laughs> you think? <laughs> As mentioned earlier, Madame Blavatsky met the man in 1890 and the two stayed in contact for 10 years. How would that be possible? At that point, he would have to have been 200 years old. There's supposedly a photo that was taken of the two of them together, so Blavatsky and the Count, but we haven't seen it. I just saw on the internet that somebody had claimed there was a legend that they appeared in a picture together. And when we're talking about a picture of the Count, it's one and it's like an engraving or an etching. So it's not like a photograph. It's just a likeness of him. Sure. That was painted at the time. So Well, it, there wasn't exactly modern photography. <laughs> no. And so it's based on how close did the painter get him to what he actually looked like. It's not going to be real accurate. In the 1920s and 1930s, he appeared to other people. And in 1972, he made his final appearance or what we think is his final appearance a man named Richard Confray came forward and claimed that he was the Count. When he was pressured to prove it, he went on French television and changed lead into gold using a camp stove while the cameras rolled. Now, nobody knows for sure if that is, if he wasn't just some kind of a ma magician who pulled this off or whatever. But this guy committed suicide in 1983, which doesn't seem like something the Count would do since he wanted to live forever. Chanfray did favor the Count. We do have a picture of him up in the show notes. He had a similar nose structure and the same cleft in his chin. But of course, there's a lot of people who have clefts in their chin. Huh, Kelly? <laughs> this is true. And what like do you, mine. Yeah, what do you usually call your cleft chin? A butt chin. <laughs> <laughs> only time I'd ever heard it called that before. My dad's and my brother's are much deeper than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd have to say the similarities stopped there. Chanfrey had a clear biography of being born and growing up, becoming a thief and spending time in jail. And he seemed to have none of the other talents of the Count. He read about the man and then became a magician and psychic after getting out of jail. So it's kind of like he was in jail and found this book on him and said, ooh, this guy's really cool. And then he probably looked at the painting and goes, hey, I kind of look like him. And he learned some magical type stuff. And so he thought, oh, I'll go ahead and pull this off. Just before joining into a suicide pact with his lover, he was seen in public looking very thin with white hair. And then, you know who the actor Kevin Pollack is, don't you, Kelly? Of course. I've seen a picture of him put next to the painting of the Count, and he does seem to favor the Count just a bit. 
<laughs> maybe it's Kevin Pollack. Uh, maybe you know. I'm I'm thinking he's he's a good actor. I haven't seen him pull off any of the alchemy or magic or anything, but. We'd really have to say that Pollock is probably definitely nothing more than a doppelganger for the famous Count. As open-minded skeptics, of course we need to look at the theories as to how the Count of St. Germain came to be known by all of us as this strange figure in history. Passports have been around for a long time, and early on, these passports were blank so that people could travel under assumed names. Is it possible that various people claimed to be him as they traveled? It's not like they had magazines and televisions back then, so some people would not have known what he looked like. The English mime and comedian, Milord Gower, often impersonated St. Germain in Paris, and he would tell wild stories of his exploits, like he had been an advisor to Jesus. Magicians would claim to be the Count as they traveled around performing. Teachings in the I Am movement by Guy Ballard and Summit Lighthouse that were run by Mark and Elizabeth Prophet claimed the Count of St. Germain as an ascended master. Elizabeth wrote many things as she claimed to be channeling the Count. The Ascended Masters, known in the East as Bodhisattvas, were once human beings on the Earth. These teachings lead people to believe that he was reincarnated over and over until he reached Ascendancy. So maybe that's why he just kept showing up as he was just reincarnating himself. Possibly. Although most <laughs> reincarnation stories that I hear, it's people remembering their past life, but they don't look anything like what they used to be. Exactly. Even some people <laughs> trade genders and things like that, too. So, Kelly, I think a more fun theory would be that he had figured out how to time travel. I want to learn. That's one of the things that I guessed <laughs> about him. And one of the reasons why I kind of leaned that way is that he seemed to know things that were going to happen in the future, like when he predicted the French Revolution. That's true. Now, granted, he could have been going around in the pubs and hearing people who were talking about revolting. So you kind of would get a feel that that's happening. But for him to know so well, 15 years ahead of time, maybe he was from the future and said, oh, I've seen that. And that's how he would be able to give great advice to all kinds of kings and other nobles about future events. Time traveling would explain how he's been seen through various decades and always appearing to be around 45 years old. So I've heard between 30 to 45 is how he would appear. I kind of lean, even though I hear the 45 used a lot, I kind of lean more down towards the 30s because let's just face it, we all get wrinkles long before 45. <laughs> well... <laughs> We've never heard anybody put forward the idea that he was a spirit. But Kelly, I wonder if that could be a possibility as well, that maybe they're seeing his ghost and that it's not a fully physical form. Could be. Some believe the Count was a vampire for several reasons. As we said, the Count loved to host parties. But one curious thing that people noticed about him was that he rarely ate at the parties. As a matter of fact, he was rarely seen eating food in public. When asked about this, the Count would respond that he so enjoyed regaling guests with stories that he didn't have time to eat. When asked what kinds of food he liked to eat, the Count would answer oatmeal and white chicken meat. Yummy. That's quite a, uh, quite a range in his palate there. Well, and you know <laughs> that if he's throwing these extravagant parties, they're having all kinds of uh, luscious things that you probably shouldn't be eating a lot of. Certainly. And that's all he's having. Now, of course, maybe that's what was giving him good health is that he was sticking to a very strict kind of diet this way. Well, that's possible. Very bland, but also not going to cause him to have a heart attack. Don't know that you'd live for 200, 300, 400, 500 years just eating oatmeal and white chicken meat. And if that's all I ever ate, I probably wouldn't want to live that long. In 1760, the Count met Countess von Georgie, and when he introduced himself, she said she knew of a man named Count of St. Germain that she had met back in 1710. Imagine her shock when he claimed to be that man. 
She then said that would make him around 100 years old, and he responded, that is not impossible. She can imagine she's like, oh, I knew a count of St. Germain back in <laughs> 1710. He's like, uh, yep, that's me. He was an odd bird. <laughs> that's all I can say. Diane first heard of this theory of the Count as a vampire on a vampire tour in New Orleans. The tour group stood outside of a two-story building in the French Quarter with red double doors at 1039 Royal Street, as the guide shared the story about a man who claimed to be named Jacques St. Germain, who arrived here in 1903. And Kelly, we actually were outside of that building and I pointed it out to you and I took a picture. So I will put that up on our Instagram when we were there a couple of weeks ago. He was a handsome, rich, eccentric man who liked the ladies. Whenever he strolled the streets of New Orleans, he had a pretty girl on his arm. And like the Count, he loved to throw a good party, and his affairs were always lavish with the finest food and drink. He, too, regaled his guests with fantastical tales of his exploits and travels, all while not eating a bite of food. Guests noticed that his stories had intricate details that would not be known to most people, and some events he spoke of happened hundreds of years in the past and he almost seemed to indicate that he had been at the events. But that couldn't be possible, or could it? Jock also looked very much like the Count. Shortly after arriving in Louisiana, he started claiming that he looked similar to the man because he was a direct descendant. People were skeptical, but the picture that they had seen of the Count favored their new friend, and he looked to be about 40 years old. When people started to wonder if he was not just related to the Count of St. Germain, but actually might be the mysterious man, Jacques didn't discourage them. He would not confirm or deny the suspicions. Another odd thing about the man was that he clearly was very wealthy, and yet he didn't seem to have the accoutrements of other wealthy people like servants and monogrammed silverware. And you might think that's kind of odd that I was pointing that out, Kelly. But most wealthy people in the city made a point of flaunting their wealth through highly decorated and monogrammed utensils. So that's why it was such a big deal to them that it was like, hmm, why doesn't this guy have a spoon with his name on it? Jacques would pay to have his parties catered. And when he did that, it wasn't just so that they'd bring in the food. They also would bring in fine china and silver service. So he rented everything. He probably didn't have any of his own because he doesn't eat anything. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. He didn't need it. So it's like, why would I have fine china and silverware when I don't eat any food? And Kelly, I bet they wondered what was that red stuff he drank from in the goblet? Was it wine or something else? Jacques had been in the city for several months when a horrible event would force him to flee the city and leave New Orleans with another legend about a vampire. Jacques had brought a beautiful young lady of the evening home with him. He offered her some wine and excused himself to get comfortable. She stood in the main room where a large mirror hung on the wall and admired herself, taking great pleasure in watching herself drink from the wine glass. She heard Jacques come back into the room, and before she could turn to him, she felt his lips graze her neck. The woman dipped her head back, enjoying the attention, until she felt his teeth against her neck. And then he was biting her neck, his teeth digging in. She glanced into the mirror and swore she could not see Jacques' reflection. The terrified girl managed to rip herself away, and she ran for a set of double doors on the upper balcony, burst through them, and jumped to the street below, breaking both her legs. Bystanders stopped to help the poor woman who was horribly injured and losing blood fast. They called for the police and then listened as she screamed erratically about having been attacked by a vampire. They thought she was delusional because of her injury. She was taken to the hospital and died later that evening. The police paid a visit to Jacques St. Germain. He was a well-respected man and seemed quite upset that the young lady had been hurt, and he claimed there was a misunderstanding. So the police told him that it would be fine if he came by the police station in the morning to do an interview. He, of course, didn't show. When the police went to his house, they found him gone. 
but he'd left nearly all of his belongings. He was never seen or heard from again. While the police inspected his house, they found a bunch of uncorked wine bottles. A few had wine, but most were filled with blood, what they assumed to be human blood. And people started referring to him as Vampire Jack. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Was the Count hundreds or even thousands of years old? Did he have some kind of ancient wisdom? And did his practice of the lost arts lead him to create the elixir of life? He was one of the most interesting men to have ever lived. Does he still live? That is for you to decide. And Kelly, I have in our show notes a couple of links. I've linked to the Finding Count St. Germain website. And also Isabel Cooper Oakley's book, The Comte de St. Germain, The Secret of Kings. I have a link there. It's a PDF if you guys want to read. I can't remember how many pages, like 15 pages or something like that. That's all about him. Very cool. Very interesting character. What do I think about him? I don't really actually know because I believe that all of these things are a possibility. I believe that there are people who maybe possibly can time travel. I mean, what do we believe about ghosts? I believe those can be time travelers. This is true. Yeah, it's kind of a mystery. Yeah. Is there some kind of secret magic there? My skeptical brain, of course, says that this is a guy who was just a big talker. He told a lot of big stories, far-fetched stories, that he did die like they said he did. And because they had this earthquake or whatever that happened or fire that destroyed the church, that they don't have any evidence of his body. And so that just went away. But the legends about him and people sharing the stories went on and on. And of course, everything gets more elaborate as it passes along. Like the game of telephone. Exactly. And so I think they just blew it up and blew it up. And then you have these people who come along that say, hey, I'm going to pretend to be that guy. And then the story gets even bigger. (laughs) It could be. But yeah, I think he lived and died and wasn't this great mysterious guy but i hope he was and i hope he still is around because that would be very cool makes for an interesting story that is for certain it does indeed we encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com and if you want to send us some feedback you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com we had some people leave some comments for us over on the youtube channel if you guys aren't subscribed to us over there i encourage you to do that Mr. Chips on the Big Bend episode that we just put up said, I could take you to a haunted river bottom on the South Leon River in Comanche County, Texas. Lights flitting through the trees, a ghost light about the size of a basketball has followed us on several occasions and shadows of people moving through the trees as you are walking back to your truck. Very interesting. I'm like, I don't know if I want to (laughs) hang around there, but sounds very similar to what Tim described and... Jane on YouTube on the Haunted Whippy episode said, I spent a lot of time at the abandoned psychiatric hospital buildings in 2003 to 2005. The tunnels, the nursery, the morgue were very, very creepy. Caddy Corner on the Andrew Jackson Hotel that we just put up. My husband and I stayed at the Andrew Jackson when we were first married in the early 1980s. We loved it. I've often thought about that wonderful enclosed courtyard. So typical New Orleans. Great choice. Nice. Yeah, it was very, it was very cool. We loved it. We definitely enjoyed ourselves. And Valerie talking about the old slave house. I visited there in the 90s and everyone instinctively spoke in a hushed tone. The different torture devices in the glass were horrible, as were the chain drag marks going up to the slave quarters. If I remember correctly, there was a Ghost Hunters article in the main area as well as an offer to stay overnight for a fee or something along those lines. And I misspoke on the previous episode. I had said that we were doing our live show on September 11th. It's actually on September 18th. 
We're going to be doing a live show in St. Augustine. Make a weekend of it because we have other events we're planning, hopefully a ghost hunt at the Lighthouse, and there are other things to see, of course, in that area. We have information on getting tickets in the Spooktacular crew pinned up to the top. It's also pinned at the top on the History Ghost Bump page, and we have it under events on our website at historyghostbump.com. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers and Stereo.com. Just want to remind you guys to join us at Stereo.com forward slash History Ghost Bump. Go ahead and download the app from there. And then you can follow myself. And then Kelly also has her own account. So you can follow us both there. And here's a little bit of what a show over there sounds like. This is you and me, unscripted, off the cuff. We're having some beer, just hanging out. We're talking about headstone words. Yes, we are. Two words that I would want to put on my tombstone would be, I'm done. Why not state the obvious? I mean, (laughs) come on. My two words would be laugh first. I don't know if that's so cheesy or not, but I've always enjoyed laughing, obviously, and jokes and comedy, and I do sketch comedy just for fun. And it's so important to have that that laughter, to enjoy life. I think I would like on my tombstone to say a good friend because I strive to be a good friend to anybody that is around me. So please come on over, join us, follow us. You'll get notified when we have our next episode. As a matter of fact, on our next one, we'll be talking about some of our favorite investigations, and we'd love to hear either a place that you would love to investigate or maybe your favorite place that you've investigated. So join us over at Stereo.com forward slash History Ghost Bump because we love to be able to have that back and forth interaction with you guys. It is so much fun. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 374th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. <laughs> What's the matter? <laughs> you are over there mugging. I've tried to do it straight. And you're just like flipping your hair and doing your little hand up against your face and batting oh. your eyes. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Can't help myself. It's too fun to make you laugh. Apparently so. Shall we start again? We shall. Over the next 19 years, she was moved from Manor House. Manor House. Manor. Manor House. 
Over mayonnaise. <laughs> she was moved from mayonnaise house to mayonnaise. Mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. The Comte Saint-Jean... Well, at least I got Comte right. Humana, humana, Franz Leopold La Names. I know there's a ton of them in this episode, too. Thanks, babe. Madame de Adamar wrote Souvenirs de la... Oh, Jesus. All these names. Why are they mine? <laughs> the last five years of his life were spent at Prince Charles of Hesse Castle. Castle's Castle's Castle. Castle. Jeez, what the hell? Hesse Castle's Castle. <laughs> uh, we're going to... Ackerford. Somehow we're going to get through this, Jeez, Kelly. Names. Hey, look, I didn't have you do Went that. from numbers to names. You didn't have to do that bonus cast on Easter Island with me. Yeah. Now, that was fun, too. Yeah. Why do I get all the freaking names? Kelly, I didn't count out each uh-huh. paragraph and go, okay, this is mine. This is Kelly's. Sure. This is mine. He, he, he. This one's Kelly's. <laughs> I think you did. And it appeared in the 19th century as a theosophical. And it reappeared. And it... <laughs> <laughs> okay. A great storm, Detroit. Detroit? It destroyed the church. Detroit. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.